right, riddle me this, Kev. What's one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle? What is it? What do you go for? Well, you might think power, but ultimately, from a smart and safe perspective, definitely the brakes. Yeah, no doubt. Upgraded braking systems can really transform a vehicle's performance and honestly give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. You know, from the track to off-road trails, even the morning commute, every single vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. And no matter what your vehicle or driving style, PowerStop has complete brake upgrade kits for you. So head to PowerStop.com, fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder to be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. That's right. You could join the thousands of other drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today with PowerStop. PowerStop.com, brake upgrades made easy. All right, it's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B and fired up about today, man. Today we get to peel the curtain back a little bit, right, Bird? That's right, man. This is one big curtain, too. We're not talking about a little curtain. Yeah, yeah. This is the no, curtain sir. of all curtains when it comes to the car guy, the car girl, and the whole entire industry that we care about. Yeah, man. There's one show that just sums up the entire industry as a whole. And if you were if you're aware of the show, if you've heard about it, well, it's it's on. It's typically unheard of that a car person doesn't hear about going to SEMA, doesn't want to go to SEMA, isn't trying to get a car or vehicle into SEMA, or just a presence, trying to be there, find a ticket. That's a, such a hot commodity and one of the few shows that is kind of like an invite only. You got to know somebody really to get in. That's right, man. But this show, I mean, it is the equivalent of every like four to 12 year old, you know, dreaming about going to Disney World. Right. And it, and it brings out the same excitement in me when when I went to Disney World for the first time, second time, fifth time. Like every time I go to SEMA, uh, it, it's like meeting Mickey Mouse for the first time. It's like riding Thunder Mountain, you know, Splash Mountain, anything oh, else, yeah, because man. it is so huge and overwhelming. And it is the thing that we sort of love and cherish. It's one of the driving forces in our lives. Right. This whole aftermarket, this car scene, hot rods, builders. Everything flashy, fast, you know, jacked up, slammed, you know, it's in the racing world, man, it's everything we dream about at night. It's the the dollars yeah. and pennies we save up from our paychecks to buy more car parts is all there, man. It is awesome. Hey, religion or not may or may not be in your life, but people pray for the things you see at SEMA. SEMA stands for Special Equipment Market uh, Association, it's, and it really is everything post-purchase a car. If you can imagine anything, performance, um, you know, hot rod, old school, new school, electronic bells and whistles, cool tools in the industry, cool tricks people are doing out there, the greatest builders, um, all the cool latest products, all underneath several massive just convention center style roofs. And it is one of those shows that you go to and you'll literally walk the dogs off your legs um, trying to you know see it all in a matter of days. I mean, if anybody's carrying a Fitbit, they laugh at the numbers. I had 48,000 steps today. Like it's that type <laughs> show every single day. It's nuts, man. Well, I mean, it's, it's over 1 million square feet. Uh, you know, like you said, I mean, it takes miles and miles to walk the aisles. Uh, there's, you know, 60, 70,000 buyers there to check out all the new goods. You know, there's 3,000 media people. I didn't even know there was that many of us. I thought it was just you and me. 
right? There's 3,000 <laughs> media people, you know, 2,300, 2,400 exhibitors, 11,000 booths. Just think about how do you how do you see 11,000 booths? I don't know, right? man. You can run, you can run through the whole thing and never get to the end. Let alone be able to stop and check it out and drool on things and have, you know, good conversations about what's this and what's new and what's hot and how's this work and when can I have one and how much does it cost? Uh, whew, 140 countries. It is. Yeah, like, it is bigger to me. It's bigger than Disney World. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it is a lot. But it, and the things that you're seeing are are as big for you as a full-grown adult as Mickey Mouse is to your six-year-old at Disney World. It really, it really is like last year alone, man, I think I licked three or four cars. Because, you know, once you lick it, it's yours. So, I, I mean, it pissed the owner off, but, hey, man, I'm over there like... Blah, 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 blah. It's worth uh, a try. Yeah, you know, it was worth yeah, a try. Right? I'm like, isn't it mine now? It's mine, right? Uh, but it really is one of the most unbelievable just ventures for any car person if you're car centric if you're automotive centric what you'll see what you'll witness the builds it's so weird because it actually you become numb to to the cars around every corner because you'll see a, a car that will win your local car show like at every single booth and those get so commonplace you begin to overlook the pristine numbers matching super badass you know resto mod out of the 68 camaro you're gonna move on to something completely homemade like the ring brothers we spent 45 minutes with the ring brothers last year just letting them tell us about their insane build it's stuff like that that just blows you away but yet it really truly defines what sema is yeah and it's kind of put it in scale how big the aftermarket is it's like 45 billion with a bu -bu b 45 billion dollar industry that's how big the aftermarket is and sema has helped pulling all that together right six thousand member companies right make this up and it's and it's about you know creating the drive right it's easy from let's say our side you know even just thinking about it from media or an enthusiast like oh wow what a great show but it's a it's a business and it's the thriving and the growing of the business right that 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 builds it up to what it is. And the SEMA show is just kind of the front, you know, like the, the show portion of it. There's so much going on behind the scenes with SEMA. And what's really awesome is we've got the president and CEO of SEMA for the last 18 years uh, and still rolling online with us. We're going to bring him back here in just a second, man. This guy has run this organization. He knows the ins and outs. He knows what's going on all over the world and can kind of fill us in, not just what happens at the SEMA show, which is probably our favorite part because it's right. so exciting, but all the amazing things they do behind the scenes to help drive the industry, to help you know protect consumers uh, and the industry itself from yeah. legislation that may not be favorable to the kind of things that we want to go do. And so it's, it's huge. A lot of people don't understand that SEMA really is the first line of defense we have to protect what we want to occur in the industry where, you know, we see it going and, and you know, there's a lot of politics involved in it. And, you know, Zev and Lev rules are always sort of, you know, damping what we want to do and directions we want to go. And they really do take a stand against some of the crushing sort of uh, rules and regs that, that would keep the industry from growing. So I'm anxious to talk about all of it. Let's take a break and we'll bring Chris Kirstein back, president and CEO of SEMA. Looking forward to it. It's the Two Guys Ride podcast with Kevin Bird and Willie B. 
It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we have our boy Chris Kirstein on uh, from SEMA, President and CEO of SEMA. And I'm telling you, man, that job comes with a lot of responsibilities. So welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks so much for your time. Well, I'm great to be with you guys. Thanks for having us here. Hey, I, I got to ask. So what is it about, what first got you into cars? Because ascending to where you're at, that doesn't happen unless somewhere along the way you became a car guy. So what was that moment? What was it? You know, it's really kind of an interesting thing because uh, I started out uh, working for SEMA many years ago, as many as 30 years ago, by the way, when I was just a young punk uh, coming out of law school, Washington, D.C., I went to work for this firm and they represented SEMA, they represented NHRA, a couple other organizations. And uh, it was cool. I, I, was, I love cars and trucks. This is great. But what really got me going on this thing was the situation for these little companies that were in this business. And, uh, you know, everybody's got their thing that they get up out of bed in the morning for. I often say, what keeps you there at night when you could be going home and having dinner with your family? Right, right. <laughs> what is it that you really love? And uh, the thing that, that got me was here you had these thousands of little companies who were like Davids in this world of Goliaths in the automotive industry. So you had the car makers, these giant companies, you had the federal government, you know, EPA and NHTSA and the Department of Transportation, uh, US Congress, the, the state legislatures, all these giants. And it turned out we were SEMA, the voice for these little companies. And we were taking care of these Davids. And I got such a kick out of the difference that we could make for all of these small companies who otherwise didn't have anybody going to bat for them, that it really, really locked me in. And uh, I have a funny story from uh, early on, you know, people say, uh, what was a, a moment that, that made you say, this is a, a career choice that I'm, I'm going to head down. And uh, I remember I was in this board meeting and we had probably 20, 23, 24 board members in those days. And uh, we'd come in and we'd tell them about the things that were coming up uh, out there on the, the legislative regulatory front. And we'd then get their agreement about whether we should go after it and try and defend it or take care of it. And I said, all right, we got this, this new deal. I, I got a call from a company. They've hardly been a SEMA member for a year, right? And uh, they're running into problems. And their problem is one where they're getting nailed all over the country. So this is going to take a lot of work to, to deal with this thing. And uh, I'm interested to, to talk to you guys about it, see if you're interested in, in having us support them. And, and they said, okay, tell us what, what this product. <laughs> and the product was undercarriage neon. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember undercarriage neon. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Right next to spinners, right? And yeah, the beginning of the sport compact. And, uh, and so this little company... Uh, was, was trying to get some help. And uh, I talked to them about what it would take and the resources and all that sort of thing. And they, without pause, without hesitation said, go after that, take care of that company. That's awesome. And I thought, this is an organization that really stands for something. They really are all for one, one for all. Uh, these guys hadn't contributed to the, to the coffers of SEMA for any substantial time. And this thing was gonna be a drain. But that board then and historically and all the way through to today, they get it that we stand united. We are really 
uh, meaningful voice. If we don't take care of each other, uh, we splinter out and we lose that voice. So uh, that was kind of the beginning for me. I said, this is awesome. This is what I want to do. And then it just kind of grew from there. And Chris, that's why I still have undercarriage neon on one of my cars today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, man, it, it does mean something standing up for the, for the little guy. And if it really wasn't for, you know, you think of all the innovation because the aftermarket does so well to keep up with, you know, with what they're doing on the, on the big manufacturer side, right? On the OE side, um, the aftermarket needs guys like you fighting for them because it is such a, you know, there's so much vitality there. There's so much, you know, it's a robust sort of thing when these car guys are passionate about something they want to create, build, or bring to the market that, you know, is better for performance, gets more, you know, miles per gallon or better efficiency or a better way to do it. And it's good that you guys are the big brother kind of helping clear the path for them. Well, we think about it, the, the little guy grows into the big guy. And if you, you know, let the little guy get killed off, the big, awesome stuff never happens, right? I mean, think about right. the K&N filter. I mean, that was a guy way back when, right, that wanted to, you know, make a, a better filter for, you know, racing motorcycles on the sand or whatever. And now it's a huge company that's part of the whole big system. And so, yeah, taking care of the little guys, the medium guys, the big guys, it's all important because over time it all grows and it's created this, you know, industry that that we love and that we get to benefit i mean think about all the cool things that you put on your car that you've modified everything from the paint the wheels the tires the brakes the, you name it all the calibration tools and everything is because right in a lot of ways uh organization like sema has been out there you know protecting them helping them guiding them connecting them with buyers with resellers everything to make that whole industry grow and thrive to what it is today you can't imagine that. There's a, there's a really cool uh, little data point that, that kind of blows people away to your, your point, Kevin. And, uh, you know, the first piece of it, the frame up, our industry is nothing without innovation, right? So, so people uh, wake up on Monday in our industry and they're most of the time trying to improve on the, one of the best manufactured, best engineers, engineered products in the world, right? Uh, the, the, the automobile over history has been one of the best products that, that ends up in consumers' hands. And these guys every day are trying to figure out ways to do it better, differently, and so on. So a lot of innovation. And each year at the SEMA show, we have maybe 23, 2,400 companies show up and exhibit at that show, right? Every year, somewhere between four and 600 of those companies are new first-time exhibiting companies at SEMA. And most of the time, they are enthusiasts out there who saw something that they felt like they could do better. And they start out making a widget or a little line of widgets or whatever it is. And they come to the SEMA show tiny. And if they catch on, their business grows. And the next year, they're back. I think the, the following year, you get about half of those companies come back. And the third year is about half again. But if these companies make it through three years, they are the companies that eventually grow and become sort of the new uh, mainstays. And in a lot of different segments, SEMA is a big uh, pie that's made up of a lot of different slices of, of hobbyist segments. And in those seg segments, going to that show and getting noticed and getting your innovation on the map is what it is all about. And it keeps 
all this cool stuff just flowing into the market for all the gearheads out there. One of the first places I always go to is your new products hall because it always has something that, oh, wow, you know, it gives me that like, man, I can't believe you did A, B, and C. It's always such a cool place to kind of visit. I had another question for you too, man. You know, with the latest push in manufacturers, you know, to sort of void warranties, if you do any work on your car, if you change the oil on your car, if you change anything, it voids the warranty and, you know, and the likes. What are you guys or how are you guys facing challenges like that? Yeah, that's a great question. And people uh, run into it all the time. But I got to tell you, they've been running into it for all the 30 years I've been involved in this, too. And uh, fortunately, we got a law out there. Uh, the Magnuson Moss Act, which basically says people are allowed to use aftermarket uh, products uh, when they want to repair service or or work with their vehicle. And, you know, the hard part for us is a lot of that stuff gets fed back, you know, uh, a particular dealership or whatever gives somebody a hard time about it, and we don't hear about it. But in some cases, it'll get to be enough of a thing that SEMA actually steps in and will Uh, write uh, a letter and uh, get in touch with and work through whoever the uh, dealership chain is or the automaker and we'll talk about it. And basically it comes down to the matter that if the aftermarket part isn't responsible for a problem, you can't void the warranty on that vehicle. And if it is responsible for the problem, you got to be able to demonstrate a causal connection in order to say, sorry, we're not going to cover that under the warranty. So uh, it's a, it's a whack-a-mole gig. Uh, it happens, you know, periodically all the time and we just keep trying to go after it, you know? You know, what I really like about, you know, following the, the aftermarket industry is, is you're trying to figure out, you know, between the OE and the aftermarket, who's, who's the head and who's the tail? Is the tail wagging the dog? You know, cause as you mentioned, right, the OEs, you know, from all over the world, right, are some of the top engineering, uh, you know, if you think about the, the technology that's in a vehicle, I mean, it, it's hundreds or even thousands of times more complicated than the original rockets that got us to the moon. You know, like these are s- incredible spaceships with computers and all kinds of things that are going on. The engineering, the dynamics, the testing, the durability, all that is unbelievable. Uh, and you think, how do you even make it better? But as you mentioned, right, every one of these companies is out there figuring out how to make something better. And a lot of times you see it going back into the the OEs, right? The OEs feed off of what the aftermarket's doing, whether it's, you know, door poppers and key fobs, you know, to just bigger wheels and styling to, you know, think about all the off-road capabilities that Jeeps have uh, that, you know, weren't in the Jeeps way back when, but when they see people, you know, buying aftermarket parts, building stuff, taking them off-road, having a great time, it's like, wow, maybe we should sell that too, you know? It's a cool symbiotic, you know, like, relationship and that just feeds off of each other so it makes our base vehicles better and it makes the aftermarket industry better and you know this constant back and forth you know what it is kevin it's following the money man it is following oh, money passion fuels that dollar and when they see dollar signs man they're going to go after it the uh, you know those oe manufacturers are going to build something that that the people want and uh when they want it man they'll they'll either make it themselves or spend the money with the uh, manufacturers to buy it, you know? And that's where these guys come in, finding, you know, those guys that are kind of reinventing the wheel and making it even better and, you know, taking that next step. It's a very cool thing uh, because we still have in, in the, the car makers, particularly based here in the U.S., 
people who love cars and trucks, total gearheads, guys like Jamie Meyer, who we recently were able to hire uh, to, to head up our PRI uh, division and uh, coming out of GM there and all that, those years in uh, racing over there. It's, it's great that we have people like that because they understand that kind of symbiotic relationship. Yes, of course, they're all in competition with one another, but they all thrive off of one another too. Uh, the ideas, who comes up with these ideas first? Can the aftermarket exploit a really good, great idea before the car makers begin to integrate it? And once the car makers integrate it, can our aftermarket uh, manufacturers continue to thrive because they offer different levels of quality that are oftentimes better than what the OE is offering? They offer a whole variety of different materials and looks and uh different ways that, that people can get to those products. I mean, not everybody is, is spending time in a dealership, right? So uh, it, it's the sort of thing that um, the, the car makers and, and, and the people who are inside there who really love uh, the hobby, love racing, uh, they help us. They help our, our companies quite a lot. Uh, and at the same time, they compete with them. So uh, we just keep working to, to make sure that our guys are at the head of that, uh, at the front of that wave. So <laughs> it's it's been working pretty well. Yeah, no doubt. You know, you think about all the years that you spent at SEMA, you know, now you got decades of it. I imagine you seeing what the aftermarket has has created over several decades I bet it's been amazing. What, like, are there some, certain things that you can recall uh, in certain years that were a big evolutionary leap um, yeah. for what you thought would, you know, would never occur? Like, there's got to be a few of them where you're like, "Wow, that is amazing." I have, I have one that comes to mind really right off the bat, and that is, uh, you guys will remember the introduction of OBD, right? And, and when it went from California's OBD to uh, the really uh, second step, uh, the Clean Air Act uh, in 1990, OBD2. And I can remember walking into Ford and, and meeting with a fellow there and uh, uh, an engineer, and he had on the table these stacks of paper, right? All the way down this giant conference table. And he said, that is the code that your industry is gonna to have to sort out in order to be able to make parts that are gonna integrate with this system. It isn't gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, fast forward a few years. Exactly. Quite a few creative minds. Tell Mark Heffington that, that he's not gonna get in there and I'll tell you what, he's gonna hire the talent who will figure it out and so many other companies uh, that have been able to do the same thing. and. Uh, it was supposed to be the end of uh, the underhood part portion of, of our industry, right? And uh, through great uh, legislative work, SEMA's uh, government affairs team, I was back in DC then, we uh, took the EPA to court on the proposed regulations. We made sure that those regulations uh, didn't lock out uh, the, the opportunity to get into that system and see how it worked and be able to work with it. And, and really even repair vehicles uh, as, as much as modify them. Uh, but we succeeded in that lawsuit. And uh, at the same time, uh, some of the car makers, uh, the, I would say the gearheads in those car makers began to help and work with our industry. And so uh, that was something that I think of as a huge step that was in front of the industry that, that they were able to, to overcome. But I can tell you, talking to the guys who came before me, hell, going from carburation to fuel injection. I mean, it's been, there've been these steps all along the way. And Right now, I'll tell you what the big one is in front of us. 
this crazy rush to market with all these safety features, these safety systems that are on now. I mean, the car makers are out ahead of their own dealer's ability to work with those things. They're out ahead of the collision repair industry's ability to work with those things. And of course, SEMA members who are trying to uh, raise or lower a truck, a very simple sort of thing. I mean, the, the stuff you have to pay attention to now to make sure you're not interfering, disabling, uh, whatnot, uh, some sort of safety sensor. So uh, we've been working real hard, uh, even with the Society for Automotive Engineers as a standardizing organization to say, God, guys, this is crazy. The marketing push is everybody wants to have the coolest bells and whistles first, right? But the information on how to work with this stuff, repair it, uh, uh, recalibrate and put it back on the road in its original condition, it, everybody's struggling with that. So uh, SEMA, a couple of years ago, uh, introduced a, a facility uh, to help our members. We call the SEMA Garage. It's a product development assistance center. And we use that collective uh, capability that, that we have and that opportunity to talk with the car makers to try and get information flowing, to try and get uh, our industry situated so they have what they need. They know what they need to know in order to be able to uh, make a part that's going to integrate and not cause uh, uh, an issue for the consumer, the enthusiast out there. And uh, that's that one we're just working through right now. So that's our kind of our, our step that we're working on right now. Uh, that's big. And, and if you think about just the history that you talked about with OBD and, you know, carburetor to fuel injection, I mean, they seem insurmountable when you, when you, when you get just a little bit of understanding of how complex these vehicle dynamic systems and safety systems and all that are, you think, oh my God, there's no way because they're so complicated, intertwined, and you know I can't get into the code. But uh, you know, just looking backwards, I can see going forwards that we're just going to plow our way through it and we're going to get there. And there's going to be innovation. And on the other end of it, it's like that wasn't such a big deal, was it? You know, every generation looks at it from their mindset and what they know. And so we look at that and we say, oh my God, how could you have, but the current generations, the younger people who are coming in and through the industry, they have no problem. They are daunted. They are not intimidated by the computer uh, technology. They're not, they, they, they know how to work with that. And they still, it's a challenge, but uh, I think it's a great thing that over the years, we just continue to have this infusion of uh, young and uh, inspired folks who figure ways to overcome problems. And I think it's like anything one guy can create, another guy can can figure out. Right, there's always a John Meany out there and a Big Stuff 3, like, you know, figuring it out and starting his own and all that stuff. So, hey, we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, man, more of the big challenges and opportunities of SEMA and, and a lot more awesome conversation uh, with Chris Kirsting, president and CEO of SEMA. So you guys stick around. We'll be right back to Guys Garage Podcast. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we have Chris Kirsten on, CEO, president of SEMA. And when it comes to SEMA, a lot of people just, the first thing that comes to mind is a car show. Like, Chris, you got to admit, first thing that pops in people's mind, coolest car show on earth, the baddest rides, baddest builders, crazy chicks and Reese Cups in every booth for miles. <laughs> so... It, it really is, man. It's got that perception, but you guys do do so much more. And I don't know if you're aware, but how did SEMA first get started? What was the, what was the kind of drop in the bucket that made SEMA 
come together as a as an effort for for us car guys it's it's a pretty cool story and i think it's it's uh it's especially cool because it's surprising there there was no sema show in the beginning uh so so a lot of folks who are listening probably aren't too familiar with what it means to be a trade association it's just a group of businesses that for one reason or another they come together because their combined resources will allow them to get things done that they couldn't do on their own, right? That's really the essence of what uh, a business group like SEMA is all about. And, and interestingly, by the way, in the beginning, it was not the Specialty Equipment Market Association, SEMA. It was the Speed Equipment Manufacturers Association. Yeah. Nice. That's a great way to get started. Yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s out here in Southern California, you had uh, all these guys who were hot rodding and, and going out to the dry lakes and uh, speed contests were the focus one way or another. Uh, and and as they kind of went along, and especially after World War II, when you had all, these guys develop all this automotive uh, know-how, they came back out and uh, they figured we can start making this stuff. We can start making parts and selling it. So you know, names that everybody knows today, Edelbrock, uh, Ed Iskadarian, Iski Cams, all these guys, Robert Peterson, who eventually went on to, to found Hot Rod Magazine, Wally Parks, who went on to, to found the National Hot Rod Association. These guys were all just out in the desert making cars go fast. And they figured out a way to turn it into a business. And as they were going along, they would run into problems and, and things, but very interesting problem that led to SEMA being formed. All of us as kids, we made car models. You know, you'd get the little box and you'd take out all the parts and you'd glue all this stuff. Right? Oh, yeah. The original sort of thing that got all these guys sitting at the table together, when you make that model, you go through all the hell of making it right. And then the real hell begins. You're going to put the decals on, right? So <laughs> you put that thing in the warm water and you, you try and get it out and you're going to put that decal on there just right, right? You're, you got this funny car. You got this this top fueler and you're putting on the decal. So uh, the guy who was trying to do that for the model company, the model company was Ravel, his hell was trying to get licenses to use those trademarks in all those boxes. And uh, at a point after he started going to all these companies and haggling and wrangling, you know, he thought, I know what a trade association is. I know what it's, I should tell these guys about it. So he actually got a few of them together and said, you know what, you guys, if you would come together and form an organization, work together, you can solve all kinds of problems. One thing we could do is we could put together a standard licensing agreement for this stuff. It made my, my life easier and be better for you guys too. And that was the thing that brought wow. all those manufacturers who were, by the way, you know, vicious competitors wow. with one another, brought them all to the same table in the very beginning. He sold them on the idea of stickers. You know, <laughs> I'm telling you, my kid is four and I totally get it because I can get this kid to do all kinds of things for stickers, right? All of us had a hot rod sticker <laughs> yeah, collection as, as kids growing up. I mean, you did or you do? Because I still have my stickers. They're on my toolbox. Yeah, bro. You know, they're on my workbench. Hey, I still got my trapper keeper from high school just because I didn't want to throw the yeah. stickers away. <laughs> All right. So that launches SEMA. But very quickly thereafter, the California uh, legislature puts into place a bunch of emissions laws that the rest of the country didn't have, right? So if you wanted to be a car maker selling into California, you had to meet these emissions requirements. So 
this was a new challenge because the way that was written originally, you couldn't modify it. You couldn't do anything to it, right? So SEMA uh, went in and, and made the, the case that there should be a program established that allows manufacturers in our industry to demonstrate that if their product maintains that vehicle in emissions compliance, that product should be legal to sell. And when that federal EPA came along a little later, formed up the Clean Air Act, the original Clean Air Act, put into place the same thing, the federal EPA said, okay, we'll accept that California program if you are able to test and demonstrate and get your California uh, EO, they called it, uh, you, you would be legal for selling in, in the rest of the 49 states. And that was one of the early huge wins that SEMA was able to accomplish to help the enthusiasts and the industry uh, keep going, basically. Because in those days, especially, the car maker left a lot on the table, man. <laughs> and there was a lot of room to get a lot more horsepower. And, uh, so these companies were good at it and they could do it and they could do it in a, in a way that uh, kept that car in compliance. And so today we're still battling on that. Thing. I was going to say, that's the same battle. That's the same battle you're having right now, right? With the, you know, Zev and Lev rules and everything that, you know, is put in front of you for legislation reasons. It's got to be one of the most consistent battles you guys have. Yeah, so a trade association works for businesses, but it also helps the, the, the ultimate, in our case, the ultimate uh, enthusiast consumer. You know, we help these guys with training and education. We have all kinds of product development assistance that we uh, run. We do a lot of market research to help them understand trends and where things are going. And uh, we've got just a, a whole range of different ways that we try to help these small businesses continue and succeed. And, and of course, we have the events. And, and the SEMA show came along in 1967, really the first one that had the name SEMA involved in it in a meaningful way. And this is kind of funny trivia. 1967, under the grandstands at Dodger Stadium, which was a, a relatively new facility. So it was a big deal to go to Dodger Stadium. But they literally set up all the booths in those aisleways underneath uh, Dodger Stadium. Really cool old photos of that. So it was a little smaller than it is today. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I think they had a hundred companies though. That was pretty wow. cool. I, I, I look back at that. I respect that. As a guy who is responsible for making these things happen, right? I look at that and I say, God dang, they got a hundred companies in there that first. That well, first you know, time. speaking of that, where do you see electric vehicles taking us? Where do you see sort of the next evolution three, five, seven years out? You know, uh, I remember coming through the industry uh, just at the tail at the 80s, going into the 90s. And, uh, you know, one of the big concerns was, how is this thing going to keep going? Cars, the, the cars in the 80s were not exactly inspired, <laughs> right? And, and so, right. so like, this thing is, is seeing its best days, right? And and I, I have this funny story that I tell, uh, I, I have this, issue of what is basically the SEMA news magazine. We put out a magazine every month and, and there's an article in it. And the article talks about the board meeting that was held that day. And, and they were talking, the headline was, does the industry have five years left? And the three things that they cited as, as eating the industry alive, regulation, we're gonna get regulated out of business. Technology is making it impossible for, for us to do what we do. And lastly, we're a graying industry. We're going away, right? The, the, the people who love cars and trucks are going away. 
That article was from 1973. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> wow. But but what you can see as as anybody who has been around our industry all those years, it just keeps reinventing itself. Who who foresaw the sport compact thing, right? Who ever imagined that we'd sell more pickup trucks in this country than we we sell uh, regular uh, streetcars? Who, who would have guessed? Who would have known this boom would happen in, in truck and SUV? So uh, it, it's constantly, how about this? We have just sort of sleptwalked through the coolest era of horsepower development ever. And, and hardly anybody even talks about it. It's like you can go in and buy 700 plus horsepower in a dealership. Isn't that nuts? I say that all the time. It is absolutely bananas. You can go buy 800 to 1,000 horsepower off a showroom floor and drive it every day. It's right. insane. Uh, but hey, I got to ask you real quick before we, uh, we have to run. Tell us a little bit about this uh, SEMA 360. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, naturally this year we weren't able to go forward with the SEMA show, which was a real shame. Uh, but we recognized how important that event is for the industry every year. And, and what it's all about at its most important business core, it's a marketplace where manufacturers are able to come together with all the cool new products that they've been working on in order to get with the resellers, the retailers from, you know, we got 60,000 resellers who come into the SEMA show. And so those folks all want to see what's there and bring it out so that next year, everybody will have access to the coolest stuff, right? So that marketplace, we needed to do something to help people get across the gap of no SEMA show. We put together SEMA 360. It's an online platform. It's a cool place for those manufacturers to, to come together, uh, have their new products, have it convenient and easy under a COVID circumstance for all those resellers, all those retailers to come in and see what's there and be able to you know, set up their, their business uh, for the, the year ahead. And I would say it ain't no SEMA show, uh, but it's an important uh, bridge that's going to help folks make it across and, and get into a, and have a, a really successful 2021. So uh, we're looking forward to it. We're doing it in the same slot as the SEMA show. Uh, the industry has that time kind of reserved in their brain. So, uh, so we're, we're going to do it uh, November 2nd through the uh, 5th. And, um, and uh, it's, it's, again, just like the SEMA show, it's uh, on one hand open only to the trade. So in order to get in there, you have to be a person in, in business in our industry. But at the same time, like the SEMA show, we're going to have available for all the, the gearheads out there ways for them to see the cool content. So the, the cool feature vehicles that will be uh, displayed, the new products, the things that we're going to do with uh, the industry personalities, the industry uh, celebrities, we're going to have a lot of different activations, interviews, and panel discussions and things like that. So uh, we're going to put that stuff in a place that uh, in, in our SEMA social media, Facebook, go to the SEMA website, you can find your way to our social media and uh, we're going to be able to, to give enthusiasts a way to see it too. But uh, it's the first time we've ever done this naturally and it's the first time the industry's ever done it. Uh, we're going to learn a lot and I think it may turn out that it's another enhancement going out into the future for the SEMA show because you got international folks who can't come every year. You even got people here who can't come every year. 
And this will be something that now that we've developed, it can be kind of a parallel. Uh, and it can live on beyond the four or five days that are typically the SEMA show week. So we're, we're learning a lot. We're excited about getting a chance to, to do it. I sure wish it was under different circumstances, but uh, I think the industry appreciates it and uh, we'll, uh, we'll know in about a month uh, a lot more. So uh, we're looking forward to it. I'm definitely going to look forward to that, man. And two questions and we'll, we'll say goodbye. Where do you think um, the industry is going to be for 2021 show? Meaning, like I work in radio um, out where you graduated college in Colorado. And next year, the concert season is going to be by far the busiest concert season we've ever had. So do you believe that's going to happen with SEMA 2021? And I also got to know about the worst after party you ever heard of being the president and CEO of SEMA. There's got to be one after party that you've heard of that you got to share the story with us. Because me and Bird, me and Kevin have been to a few after parties, boss. All right, so I'm going to get the second question first. You know the, okay. the very worst aftermarket party at, at SEMA is something that I can never talk about. <laughs> Man, I wish I was at that one. And that that yes. went out of, the, out of the picture. So it's a year. Second, uh, second to worst one. <laughs> look, I got to tell you something. Uh, I think not only in this year that we've just lived through and are, are continuing through, not only is the SEMA show down, every automotive event around is down. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're living through this time. So I think uh, people are going to be so hungry to be able to get back out there and get together. Uh, you know, it's kind of cool. Uh, most of the people who are in our industry are enthusiasts. That's how they started. That's how they chose this. And uh, just as they do on a Saturday or Sunday, they're going to want to go to a cars and coffee. They're going to want to get out to a track, whatever. They want to be with other people who are loving this stuff. And uh, all these events, we've been denied all the, all the events that normally uh, folks uh, are able to go enjoy and get juiced about. So uh, I think on that, uh, in that respect, the SEMA show is, is going to be uh, – something that, that people are going to be dying to get back to. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will be able to get to a place where it's full on, man. Let us all go. Let us all do our thing the way that we, we always have. And then in the meantime, I'm going to be thinking of ways that we can have a really cool SEMA show uh, regardless. One, one way or another, we're going to get something done. So uh, now it's our turn to get innovative, right? <laughs> so. Well, I was just going to say that, like, we talk about all the innovation of the industry and, and here you are, right? Here's the, the, the organization trying to get creative, trying to be innovative, trying to figure out how to work around, right? The situation that we're in. And, and I know going back in the, uh, you know, the 08 downturn, uh, going to SEMA for the last probably what, 17, 18 years, uh, you know, things slowed down a little bit. There just seemed like there was less of everything, uh, for those couple of years. And then, whew, man, when we came out the other side, it was like a rocket ship taken off. And I mean, it just seemed like we were on a trajectory, you know, up until this year that just every year it got bigger, better, to your point, right? Bigger, better, better, more awesome, more exciting. And it just spills out into all of Las Vegas is going to turn into the SEMA show at some point in time. So I can only <laughs> yes. imagine by next year or whenever we can lift up some of these uh, constraints uh, this thing is yeah. just going to explode again on us. Hey, I got to tell you, I'll answer Willie's question. Now, you, you, the, 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 probably the, the story that I could tell that is the worst, I'll tell on, on ourselves, on SEMA. 
you know, we introduced some several years ago, this thing called Seam Ignited, which is this real cool after party. Oh, we were there, man. Yeah. It's a cruise after place. Oh. And you get to see all the vehicles from the SEMA show cruising down the, the street. And then we took it to this lot and we have like an instant pop-up car show and it's this cool festival celebration. Well, the first year we did the traffic jam, it was across the city and we ended up with yes. cars <laughs> overheating and running out of gas. Bro, we were in that bird and I were driving. Yeah. Um, we were driving a, a, a twin turbo, like 50, like a 49, 50. Yeah. Kind of Merc thing. Oh my God. Let me tell you, man, that traffic jam was horrific. There were cars overheating. It was, it was a good idea. <laughs> and when we moved it close to the facility, it became really great. But uh, it was it was just the execution. We we ended up with a problem where uh, the the police in Las Vegas basically didn't cover the intersections. <laughs> we we were expecting that they were gonna keep those intersections there. <laughs> We all got together. Subsequently, they've, the city has done a great job supporting Ignited. But I encourage all your folks, come to SEMA Ignited. Friday night, uh, that weekend of the SEMA show, the, the tail end of the SEMA show, it's an awesome event. It's yeah, cool. It and yeah, if you didn't quite catch the, the grasp is, you know, the industry is what's inside the SEMA show and everybody wants to see it. Uh, this is where all those badass rides, they open the door at the end of the show and they all come rumbling out. Some of the sweetest rides you'll ever see in your life. They go to a cool place. And like you said, it's a pop-up show. And everyone can come check it out. Right? Anyone, everyone that loves cars. Oh, man. So cool. Yeah, it's like a horsepower flash mob. It was so awesome. And we were stuck. We were watching, like, you know, some of the baddest cars on earth overheating. Hey, but we made <laughs> a lot of friends, like, stuck in the car to the cars next yes. to us on the right, the cars next <laughs> yeah. to us on the left. Uh, somebody threw T-shirts, cool car T-shirts at us. Yeah, we were having a blast, man. Hey, uh, Chris, thanks so much for your time, man. Chris Kersey, president and CEO of Seaman. Don't forget about our show, Airy Weekends on Motor Trend Network. Check your local listings. Episodes also now streaming on Motor Trend On Demand, a great way to find us. Uh, again, thanks for our guest, Chris Kirstein. What what an honor it was to talk to him. My man, Kevin Bird. I'm Willie B., our producer, Scoop, and executive producer, Bob Ecker. Yeah, and don't forget to check out our website, twoguysgarage.com, and share your thoughts with us on social. We're everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Two Guys Garage. Now, the Two Guys Garage podcast is a copyright 2020 Brenton Productions Incorporated, all rights reserved. Yeah, man, you remember that Ford, or I think it was Ford or Merck we were driving. I, w I got to drive that night, and I thought it was going to be a huge deal. We ran it in front of everybody, everybody cheering. We got out on the intersection in the strip, and it was like, burr, park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was like, dude, we're going to light this thing. It had an EcoBoost in it, which was pretty kind of new and hot at the time. You know, yeah. It was like, well, we're going to light it up, man. We're just going to drag down the strip, you know? Like, <laughs> Hey, I got one, I got one plug. I want you to have all your stuff out there. Go and check out the SEMASAN.com and join us uh, in our in our SEMA SAN. That's the SEMA Action Network to help us out with all this le legislative and regulatory challenge that we have. Yeah, man. Giddy up, fellas. Go check it out for sure, man. This is uh, probably one of the most important organizations on the planet for what we do, what we love. Absolutely. They're on the front lines, man. 
They're fighting for us. Yeah, I can't give you guys enough props. There you go, man. Hey, it was great talking to them. If you guys can go support SEMA, look up their causes. Really, they truly are the front line of defense for everything that we love and know. Uh, and believe me, what they do today affects us tomorrow. So go be supportive of the company that really is supportive of everything that we know and love in this hobby and this sport. Uh, and make sure you sign up and read the petitions and where there's a call to action. Uh, be that supportive group like they are for us. All right. Uh, we'll see. I hope to catch you on the next Two Guys Garage podcast. That was pretty amazing, Bird. I'm stoked, oh, man. I'm so fired up. Uh, we'll see you guys on the next. See you guys. Two Guys Garage podcast is a production of Britain Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.